Father, we thank you for your great and amazing grace. We thank you, Father, that we have never walked alone, that you have always been with us, even in those times when we are being disobedient or even in those times when uh, before we knew you, your spirit was still coming alongside and drawing us to yourself. And now as followers of Christ, you indwell us. Jesus told us that he would send us the spirit so that the father and himself could make their home in us. The Bible says we have this treasure, which is you, and these earthen vessels, which is us. And I'm just so grateful. Father, as we look to your word tonight, please give us grace and guidance and help us, Lord, to have sanctified ears, to hear what you would have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 13, which is all we looked at last week, I'm hoping to get through 14 and 15 tonight. We'll see what happens. But in chapter 13, um, you know, 11 and 12 was David and Bathsheba and, and all that that happened. In chapter 13, we began to see very quickly the consequences of David's sin showing up uh, with Amnon and Tamar. Now, Amnon was his son. Uh, from one of his many wives, Tamar was his daughter from a different wife. So Amnon and Tamar were half brother and sister. Doesn't make it any better. Uh, but Tamar was Absalom's sister and Absalom was the firstborn. Now, Amnon basically tricked his sister to come into his house and to make him food. He pretended to be sick and he put everybody out of the house and he raped his sister which is just disgusting. Absalom, when he found out, he told Tamar, relax, we'll see what happens, because David should have done something about it. He was the king. One of his children committed a horrible act, an act that was actually deserving of death under Jewish law, and David did nothing. So Absalom got angry. Two years goes by, and he tells his dad, hey, come on down so we can, um, we're having a sheep shearing party. And dad says, no, I'm not going to go, but you know, uh, you, you can take your other brothers. And he goes, well, what about Amnon? And David's like, well, why do you want to take Amnon? Well, come on, dad, just, I'd just be better if all the brothers were there. Gets Amnon drunk, has his servants kill him. David thinks all of his sons are dead. Finds out it's just Amnon. And Absalom flees to his grandfather um, in Talmai, his king of Geshur, in Geshur. Talmai was his grandfather. Geshur uh, was where he was king. And he stayed there for three years, according to chapter 13, verse 38. And it says, David was comforted and longed to see Absalom. So that's where we pick up in Chapter 14. You ready? Sorry. I was moving my notes. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do 
Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons. And the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. I mean, just like, let's see the saddest story we can come up with. You know, my husband died, and then one of my sons killed the other son, and now all my family's trying to kill that son, and I've got no money, and I've got no heirs, and I've got no husband, and I'm going to lose my property because that's actually what would happen. It would go to her nearest male relative or because she didn't have any daughters. So when she died, it would have left the family or not the tribe, but, but the specific family. I, I mean, it's just like we're painting, right? You know, my wife, this is a country song. It's a country song. Right? My wife left me. My truck broke down. My dog died. I can't shoot any birds. My kids are starving. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. With four hungry children and a crop in the field. I'm going to stop there. Good old Kenny Rogers song, Lucille. If you don't know that song, look it up on Spotify. That's your homework. Right? But so she just paints this horrible picture so the king said to the woman we're in verse 8 go to your house and i will give orders concerning you and the woman of tekoa said to the lord or said to the king my lord o king let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless so the king said whoever says anything to you bring him to me and he shall not touch you anymore then she said please let the king remember the lord your god and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So what she's doing is, right? So the first thing he says is, you know what? Go home. Uh, I'll issue uh, uh, orders concerning this situation. And she goes, but, but oh, king, right? Let, let the guilt be on my father's house and your throne be guiltless. And he goes, fine. If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me. And she goes, but, but king, what if, what if it's the avenger of blood? What happens? And he goes, fine, no one will touch your son. And that then was final judgment, right? And theoretically, uh, if this wasn't all a lie, he would write it out and sign it and she would carry it home and give it to her son. Now, we're in verse 12. Therefore, the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on. He's a patient man, King David. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life. But he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. 
Now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son altogether from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, The word of my lord the king will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my lord the king in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. So, and we're going to spend a little more time in this, but essentially she's going, listen, somebody put me up to this. Somebody threatened me that I had to confront you about your own son and you need to deal with this because eventually you're going to die and then it'll be too late. And at the end, she tries to butter him up a little bit, right? You're, you're as the angel of God. And, and I know you'll, you'll treat me fairly. Verse 18, the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. Basically, he said, you better tell me the truth. And the woman said, please let my lord the king speak. And he said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? In other words, did Joab put you up to this? Now, we, we have hindsight. We read verse 1. And the woman answered, as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in my mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your ser servant Joab has done this thing, but my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. And the king said to Joab, All right, I have granted this thing. Go therefore and bring back the young man Absalom. Now, what that means is Joab was there while this was happening. Most I mean, Joab was his military commander, most likely an advisor, would have been sitting in court or at least nearby when David was holding court. And I just, you know, I get these pictures in my mind and I, I don't know if it's accurate or not. But when the woman starts telling the story, you know, kind of saying, well, you know, King, you, it's you, you need to bring your son back. You know, people are threatening me and my kids. If he didn't, you know, King David didn't kind of do this. And look over at Job, and Job was like, um, <clears throat> right? He was, I, I don't know what that looked like. We're not giving it. But David knew Joab. Joab at this point had served David for a couple decades at least. Um, and um, yeah, so, so Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. So Joab gets this woman from Tekoa, which is kind of interesting um, it's about five miles from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, um, how far was it? I should know this. It's not in my notes. Bethlehem wasn't all that terribly far from Jerusalem. Um, so this woman came from near David's own hometown. And also, Tekoa is the birthplace of the prophet Amos, interestingly enough. Though Amos uh, was not a contemporary to David. 
So she makes up this story, well, Joab makes up this story to get David to bring Absalom home. And in the end, it works. Of course, you know, David figures out it was Joab. However, even though David had allowed this, he did not let Absalom truly come home. Absalom could come to his house. He could take care of his fields. Right? He had a wife. We're going to find out he's got several children in, in uh, just a few verses. Um, you know, but he wasn't allowed to see his father. We saw that stubbornness at the end of chapter 13. And, you know, David is taking steps. And we've talked about that too. Forgiveness can be a journey. And sometimes you have to take a lot of steps to get there. Uh, but if David had acted differently, chapter 15 might be a very different chapter. So if you go back real quick to verse 14, it says, We will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. And there's two things here that I think are super valuable for us the first one is simply this once we die it's too late whether you're talking about a relationship with a family member or or some other thing um, or you know somebody that you need to forgive or somebody you need to ask forgiveness from or whatever it might be once you die it's like spilling water on the ground you can't get it back in the bucket it's too late. And I think it's so important, and I think we even see it in this situation too, that we just need to talk to each other. For whatever reason it is, you know, Joab, if he wanted David to bring Absalom home, he should have gone to David and said, listen, brother, right, we've been, we've been doing this for a long time. We fought side by side. We've had men die in our arms that we both cared about. Right? You're, you're my brother in arms. I have served you faithfully. Leaving your son for three years to, you know, stay over with his grandfather and all that, you need to bring him home. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he gets some woman to repeat a lie, right? Which David saw through anyway. So what good did it do him? None. Second, so besides, you know what, just talk to each other. I love, we get a little glimpse of the gospel in the second half of verse 14. God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. You see, our sin separates us from God. Our sin banishes us from the presence of God. But he was unwilling to leave us there. And so he devised the means by which we would not be permanently expelled from him. By sending Jesus to live a sinless life and die on the cross for each of us. I love that. He has every right to banish us 
and expel us forever. And instead, he made the way so that we wouldn't have to. He made the way through Jesus Christ. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Verse 25. After a sip of tea. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. Uh, This was actually something that all of the king's sons would do. Uh, it was essentially, at the end of every year, they would take a, a leverite, not a leverite, that's the marriage, um, Nazarite vow. So they would shave their head. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. Now, if the boy shaved his head once a year and then didn't cut it again, and a year later his hair weighed 200 shekels, it was roughly six pounds That's a lot of hair. That dude's hair grew really fast. It's also going to be his downfall. (laughs) If you you remember how Absalom ends up, um, but we'll we'll get there uh, in a couple chapters. Um, To Absalom, verse 27, were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance and Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent to Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. You know, Absalom's servants should have the right to question the insanity of their master. Right? A few years ago, they were, he tells his servants, when my brother's drunk, kill him. Um, dude, if you want him dead, do it yourself. Now he sends Joab a message and Joab doesn't reply. Sends Joab another message and Joab doesn't reply. So he looks at his servants and goes, set his field on fire. I think one of his servants would be like, um, you know, Joab's kind of prone to violence. Maybe we shouldn't set his field on fire. But they just do it. And uh, so Joab arose and came to Absalom's house. At least it was effective and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? I don't, it's not funny, but it's really funny to me for some reason. And Absalom answered Job, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me to still be there. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there's iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, sorry, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. So yeah, I I don't know. I just love this. So now it's been five years since the murder of Amnon. And three years, Absalom was with his grandfather. And then two years, he was in the same city in Jerusalem but was not allowed to go near his father. Right? He calls Joab, calls Joab again, sets Joab's field on fire. Right? I, I'm just saying, if you text somebody and they don't text you back, <laughs> right? and then you text them again and they don't text you back, just find out where their field is. Don't do that. If anybody burns anybody's field down, it was, I, it was a joke. Don't do that. 
But it's been five years. So he finally comes. And I love uh, Absalom's attitude, right? I told you all last week, I, I kind of feel for Absalom. What he did was wrong, but I understand why he did it. Um, but he tells him, right, go to the king and say, it's this simple. If there's iniquity in me, let him execute me. That's fine. But if there's not, then it's time for this to be over. So Joab goes and tells the king. The king says, fine, bring him here. Absalom bows before his father. And then the king kissed him, which was a sign of his forgiveness. Now, David's sin was worse than Absalom's. David had no reason to kill Uriah. Absalom at least had, you know, a pretty good reason to kill his, his half-brother, right? He, the guy was a rapist, and he raped his own sister. I mean, that's why I said what Absalom did was wrong. But I, I get it. I get why he did what he did. But David just so, so stubborn. So I think David was wrong. I really do. Right? Because even, even the best people can be wrong from some time to time. And um, I think if David had handled this better, if he had settled things with Absalom sooner, well, chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, well, really 15, 16, and 17, and does it go all the way up to 18? Yeah, gosh, it goes all the way up to 19. So the next, you know, four chapters would be very different. As well as um, the succession of kings, because Absalom was in line for the throne. Uh, spoiler alert, Absalom's going to die in a few chapters. Um, and so because of that, David appointed Solomon when he died, or before he died. Chapter 15. After this had happened, that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate, so it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Then, moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everyone who had any suit or cause could just come to me. I would give them justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Dude was a politician before we could really see politicians. Right? You're already seeing in the news that we're coming up on the next election cycle, which is just mind-boggling to me, but we are. 2024, you know, a year from this November, we'll be voting on a president again. Um, you know, and every year it's the same thing. The guy in office will, will tell you all the great things he did and how all the things that the other guy says he's going to do are lies. Uh, it's going to be kind of tough for the current president, but still... Right then you have then you have the, the the new guy and and you know whether the new guy is an old guy who's being the new guy again or whether the new guy is just a new guy, 
saying, look at all the promises he didn't keep. If you elected me, I'd take care of that. Right? That's, that's politics 101. And that's exactly what Absalom's doing. Where are you from? Oh, I love that town, right? It's such a great place to visit. You have such a beautiful, you know, town square and the best apples or whatever. So what are you here for? Oh, you know, my neighbor set my field on fire. Um, <laughs> well, you know, gosh, if only the king had time to hear your case. It's really too bad because clearly you're right and, and your neighbor is wrong. Only if, if, if I, you know, if, if, if King David would just let me hear your case, I would make this right for you. And then he would grab their hand and kiss them. And boy, everybody that came in and out of Jerusalem was like, wow, that Absalom, what a great guy. What's interesting, though, is Absalom was already David's heir. It appears that he just wouldn't wait for his father to die to take over the kingdom. So he relies on deception to gain a following, and it works! Right? He's got an entourage, he's got 50 people running before him. Um, it works. Psalm 12, verse 1 through 3 says this, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Now I tell you, be really careful if someone is being really flattering. Just, you know, I mean, we, we all know what we are and who we are. And if somebody comes and you, oh, you're just you're just the best, and oh, you're so eloquent, and you sing like a you know like a songbird, and oh, you're just so good. Look, I mean, it, I'm like, dude, you are so full of it. Just ask whatever it is you want, and I'm probably going to say no because that's how you started. Just yeah, be beware. Verse seven. I'm not saying all flattery is deception. Not all flattery is deception. I compliment my wife constantly. You know, they describe Absalom from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He was beautiful. I always tell my wife, she's beautiful from the top of her head to the bottom of her ankles. My wife is gorgeous, but I'm not a foot guy. And, 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 and she's, yeah, no. So, Apparently, Absalom, even though he walked around in sandals in a time where dirt roads and whatnot, apparently his feet were still beautiful. I don't know how he pulled that off. Verse 7. Now it came to pass after 40 years, and, and that word isn't 40, we'll talk about that in a minute, that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelled at Geshur in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. 
And when Absalom went, 200 men invited from Jerusalem with, sorry, and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city from Gilo, which he offered sacrifices, while he offered sacrifices. Wow, I know how to read. And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Uh-oh. Under the guise of going to make a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, Absalom gets permission from David to go to Hebron, where David was first king. From there, Absalom gathers cohorts in his conspiracy for what will be an attempted coup. Now, I said I'd bring up this 40 years in verse 7. The word in Hebrew is for. Why? Do you have a, you're looking at your ESV? Yeah, so long story short, all it is, the word in Hebrew is for. I don't know why they said 40. Yeah, the NAV has four, the ESV has four, others have four. Hey, the nearly inspired version's a little more inspired on that verse, right? Um, you know, it's just, it's just a poor translation into English, and somebody should fix it. But anyways, right, so if your Bible says 40, you can take a pen, cross out 40, just write four right above it. It's not changing the word of God, I promise. Um, then... At the end of this, we talk about Ahithophel. Now, we talked about Ahithophel before as Ahithophel was the father of Eliam, right? Which means a lot to everybody, doesn't it? Eliam was the father of Bathsheba. So Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So Ahithophel, being a counselor of David, knows that David had an adulterous affair with his granddaughter. David knows, or Ahithophel knows, that David murdered his, what is it, your grandson-in-law? I don't know how that works when it's a grandchild, but, right? Ahithophel knows this. So when Absalom conspires against his father, Ahithophel's like, yep, I'm with you because your father is a punk and I want to see him gone. Um, All of the information about Ahithophel and the relationships is in 2 Samuel 23, verse 34. So we'll get there eventually, but just in case you want to look ahead. Verse 13. Now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise, And let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. 
So there are some who suggest David fled because he was afraid. I don't believe that. I don't think David was afraid for multiple reasons. One, he had a standing military of several hundred thousand men who were loyal to him under the command of Joab. All he had to do was activate his military. And even if, even if Absalom had gathered together 10, 15, 20,000 people, there was no contest. Now we know Absalom doesn't want, or David doesn't want to kill his son. We'll, we'll see that later. Second, the city of Jerusalem was one of the most defensible cities in the ancient world. Right? There was only one direction to attack Jerusalem from. We recently watched a movie called Kingdom of Heaven, and they got that very, very correct. The, the three sides of Jerusalem, there's two valleys and a mountain. You cannot practically attack Jerusalem from three of the four sides. So you know what they do? The one side that you can't attack? Well, they just built that up something fierce. Right? With, with the ability to repel a siege or to repel invaders. So all David had to do then was say, okay, you know what? I really don't want to wipe out Absalom and all these guys. They're good Jewish boys. They're just being deceived by my idiot son. So close the gates. Let's hunker down. They had, they had water. They would have had plenty of food stores. They could have certainly outlasted Absalom. So why did David flee? I don't think he wanted a civil war in his city. I don't think he wanted to see Jewish brothers killing each other in a battle that really should just be between David and Absalom. That's what I think. You're welcome to disagree with me. Um, but that's what I think. Now, the 600 man mentioned, I really like, there's 600 men who had followed him at the end of verse 18 who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. When was David in Gath? Gath is a city of the Philistines. And David was in Gath back in 1 Samuel when he was fleeing from Saul. These were the 600 men who were with him there. You talk about loyalty. I mean, at this point in time, we are getting close to the end of David's reign. He's been on the throne 30 plus years at this point, at least. And these 600 men are still around. And their guy is in trouble. And they're like, nope, David needs our help. Let's go. That's some pretty serious loyalty. Verse 19. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. All right, so you got this guy, Ittai. I love this guy. This guy's good people. David looks at him and goes, dude, what are you doing? Right? You got kicked out of your own land. You're in exile from your own country. You just got here yesterday. And David would have known that because he would have had to probably go before the king um, in order to have permission to remain in Jerusalem or to remain in Israel. 
And he's like, this, this has nothing to do with you. You just showed up yesterday, right? Go back to Jerusalem. Hey, you know, just, just this, isn't, this isn't your fight. This isn't your deal. Verse 21, Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Dude! He had just met him yesterday. I mean, it's, it's just outrageous to think of that. So he's got his 600 loyal guys. He's got some rando named Ittai who showed up the day before who, who refuses to leave him. And so off they go, verse 22. So David said to Ittai, go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Uh, which is another word for a prophet. Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Emmahaz your son and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So this scene is, is kind of cool. Right? The people are weeping over what's going on. They don't want David to leave. They don't want Absalom as king. Right? They see the tragedy that's taking place. I do find it fascinating that David crosses over the book Kidron. Uh, because realistically, David was sacrificing himself for the good of the nation. Right? He wasn't going to put his people through a civil war if he didn't have to. The brook Brook, the brook, Kidron, is the same brook Jesus crossed over after the Last Supper on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. That brook was the brook that carried the blood of the sacrificial lambs at Passover away from the city. So when Jesus crossed over it during Passover, the brook was just red with the blood of all the animals. So, you can take it as a little bit of foreshadowing, or that just happened to be the way David chose to go. I kind of like to think it was a bit of foreshadowing. So Zadok comes out with the ark. I've pronounced his name four different ways now. Zadok. He comes out with the ark and the rest of the priests, and David goes, no, nope, take it back. And I think he does this for three reasons. First, he would not bring the ark out with him. David wouldn't. This is what the Israelites did at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And what happened? Right? The high priest died. Eli, his two sons died. The Philistines captured the ark. Now the ark did cause them some trouble. Um, so they eventually send it back to Israel. But David's like, no, don't. I'm not taking this with me. That is not what this is for. 
Because the Israelites had this idea that the ark somehow carried with it the power of God. And it didn't. It was a box. Right? It was a gopher word box covered in gold. It would have been worth millions of dollars in our market. But it was still just a box. God is the one who's powerful. You know, and I, I think, unfortunately, in our world, people make those mistakes today. Uh, you know, uh, there's a house in town. The first time I saw it, it scared me. With a giant statue of Mary in the backyard. And I'm like, I don't care how big the statue of Mary is. She does not re represent the power of God. She does not represent intercession between man and God. Only Jesus does that. Right? You make it as big as you want. doesn't make any difference. I mean, doing anything like that, it's like a rabbit's foot. Yeah, carry your rabbit's foot with you. Rub it for luck. It's going to do you about the same amount as good as putting a giant statue of Mary in your backyard. Actually, I think the rabbit's foot, just because I know God has a sense of humor, would probably work better. Um, right? And so David's like, nope, I'm not going to make the same mistake that they made before. Take the ark back to where it belongs. And he does this because he's trusting in God. This is the second reason. He's trusting in God to bring him back. And he resigns himself to the will of God. He goes, if I found favor with God, I'll come back. If God doesn't have delight in me, I won't. Whatever God wants to do, I'm good with it. Third, and here we're reminded of who David is, right? He's a military genius. Quite often, that military genius came from God, but still a military genius. And he goes, you know what? Take the ark back and hey, I'm going to wait out in the wilderness. Tell me, uh, tell me what's going on, right? Send the boys, Abiathar or um, not Abiathar, Jonathan or uh, the other one, Ahim, Ahimaaz. Right, send either one of them. Tell me what's going on. Verse 30. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and he went barefoot and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Then someone told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. This is fascinating to me. So he walks up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, um, barefoot and weeping with his head covered. This, of course, is a sign of humility. It's also a sign of mourning. But David was the king. He did not cover his head. That's not what the king would do. The king would put his crown on, but the king would not cover his head. Uh, just shows his great humility. When he finds out about Ahithophel's betrayal, he prays that the Lord will turn his counsel into foolishness. And that brings us to a couple of interesting psalms. Real quick. Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now David wrote that about Ahithophel, but it was prophetic of Judas' betrayal of Jesus, as it is quoted in John chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, in relation to Judas. In Psalm 55, 12 and 13, it says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. 
nor does one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. Um, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 were also written over this event. So yeah, 41, 55, 3, and 4, all good psalms to look up because uh, David wrote them concerning this time. Uh, but Je- Jesus, right, I do want to point out, David wept over Jerusalem as he went up the Mount of Olives, leaving the city. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, coming down that same side of the mountain. You can read about that in Luke 19.41. Verse 32. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. So again, he was mourning. And David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you there? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz and Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So the first thing David does at the top of the mountain is worship. And I love it. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. No matter what is going on in our lives, we can worship God. There's always something to be thankful for. It's not about whether or not we feel like it. It's about God being worthy, no matter what else is happening. And sometimes, that's hard. But it doesn't change that he is worthy. Um, And I appreciate that David did that. In the middle of his son's betrayal, and his counselor's betrayal, and all the things that were going on, he still worshipped God. Now David's friend Hushai shows up, wants to come with him, and David says, nope, you're going to be a burden if you come with us. Uh, And that is because Hushai was an old guy, right? And they were on foot. And and he knew that Hushai was going to have a hard time keeping up, that this would be difficult for him. So he's like, don't do that. So he sends him back instead to be a spy. He goes, go to Absalom. Tell him you'll serve him like you served me. And, you know, then you can defeat the council of Ahithophel because he knew Ahithophel was a good counselor. And then he said... Uh, you can, whatever you find out, send it over to Zadok and, and, and the boys will run it out to me so that we know what's going on. So he's expanding his spy network and Hushai returns to Jerusalem. And then Absalom, did we read that? We read that, right? That Absalom came into the city? Absalom came in to Jerusalem. You do have to give Hushai some credit. If Absalom found out that he was working for David still, He would have died quite quickly, as would the priests. Um, Anyways, next week, I told you I put it in my notes. Next week's movie night. So for anybody who usually um, joins us on streaming, we're not streaming next week. Um, I'll try to remember to post something next week, Wednesday, so we can remember. 
but yeah, next week we're gonna it's gonna be movie night, so bring some popcorn and candy. Um, the week after, we'll continue on with Absalom's rebellion, and if all goes well, we will get into how this ends. But we all know better uh, because we're probably not going to get all the way up to chapter nineteen. We just know better. Um, so until then, until next week when we have movie night, and then the week after, let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray, Father, that you would remind us that there's always a reason to worship you. There's always a reason for us to be thankful. Even when we're betrayed, even when, you know, it just seems like the world is crumbling around us. Father, I just pray you would help us to always know that we have you. And because of that, we've always got something to be thankful for. I pray that you would bless our night, the rest of this week, that your grace and mercy would be upon each of us, that you would just fill us, Lord, to overflowing with your spirit and your power, your mercy, and that you would be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.